Good evening, everyone. And uh, apparently when you have a barbecue dinner, banana pudding and peach cobbler, you become friends. And so I'm not your uh, stranger anymore. So we had a meal that made us friends. Well, it's great to be here. I realize to many of you, um, I'm new to you. Well, just so you know, you're all new to me. And uh, it's a great honor to be here. And just a quick backdrop of who I am. My wife and I just moved to Greenville, South Carolina, just a couple hours from here. And God bless the 85. I avoid 85 with, at all costs, except for to come here tonight. Uh, but no, we moved to Greenville just over a year ago. We planted a church and we landed last June and we spent the summer and then the fall just kind of prepping. We weren't supposed to open the church till this month or September. Um, but the way things were going last fall, it just became evident and clear that we were to open the doors nine months ahead of our plan. And so we went ahead and opened the doors uh, in January of this year. And we've been going a little over six months-ish. And it's just been a wild ride. So if you're ever in the Greenville area or you're going down 85 and you need a place to stop, come by and visit. Uh, we're having a grand old time and we just love living in the South. I'm a California boy. I'm 46 and lived in California for 45 years of my life, with the exception of some other countries for short term, but pretty much in California. And people are like, well, how's the South? And I'm like, I love it. I feel like I was made for the South, at, at least Greenville. I don't know about the whole South, but because it's a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Eccentric part of our country. It's just, it's just an interesting space in this world, but we love Greenville, and it feels like uh, we were in many ways made for that city, and one of the greatest advice we got in looking for a city, for those of you who don't know, don't know, my wife and I pastored a church on the West Coast for about 10 years, on staff for 18 years, so been there a long time. We had signed the invisible contract of we're going to be there the rest of our life. That's just how we approach everything, and then... A bunch of stuff happened. We said, this actually isn't where we're going to be the rest of our life. So in our search for a city, in our search for an area, one of the greatest advice I got was, my wife and I got, was find a city that had the same frequency as you. That had the same frequency. And that sounds amazing, but how do you know? And so long story short, we ended up in Greenville, and because there was definitely some stuff grabbing our hearts. Um, but now that we've been there just over a year, it's very clear that we belong there, we're loving it, we're loving the culture, loving the people. And to believe it or not, I prefer the humidity over the dry, dry weather on the West Coast. Now, from where, where, where I'm originally from, right now it's 110 to 115 degrees. And forest fires, I mean, it's just brutally hot. It's a blow dryer in your face all day long. Here, you walk outside and the air just hugs you. It just says, welcome. <laughs> He said, I love you. I want to touch every part of you. And my skin is so happy here because on the West Coast, it's just so dry. And I was there last week for my mom's memorial. Thank you for that. My mom passed away recently. We had a big week last week. I'm still recovering emotionally from it a little bit. Um, but we went back, got off the plane, and it was 107. And I'm like, dear God, this is hot. I want to go back to Greenville where the air hugs you instead of pushes you away. So anyway, I'm being funny. But um, if you're ever in the Greenville area, come check us out. The uh, name of our church is Studio, and we're just having a great time. Uh, it's a place where God and people meet, and beautiful things happen, and beautiful things are created. And we're just excited to be in this part of the country to find out what God's doing here. And it's evident 
uh, God is doing something remarkable here, has been, and it continues to be. And for us, we just want to find that, that, that momentum and get into that and just add our part to it. And uh, I have to be honest with you, I think Greenville is the best city in the country right now. I just think it's the place to be. Um, but I'm here in Gastonia. How do you say it? What's the proper way to say it? Gastonia, Gastonia or Gastonia? Do you add a little? Yeah. Okay, Gastonia. All right. What'd you say? Okay, I'll, I'll stick with Gastonia. Gastonia. All right. Well, let's pray real quick and then we're going to jump right in. Jesus, thanks so much for this beautiful people. Thank you so much that we get to be alive for such a time as this in this very moment in Gastonia. And we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for this event, the next two days. And I pray ultimately that hearts will be transformed, life will be redirected, and hope will be infused into our souls. Amen. Amen. Recently, I was, my wife and I, my daughter, we were in Florida on vacation. And one of my two daughters, my oldest, flew out to be with us. And I was walking down the beach and just enjoying the white sand in 30A, Florida. If you've ever been there, it's wonderful. I definitely want to go back. And I'm walking down the beach and the sun's behind me and my wife and my daughter, we're just cruising down the beach. And I see my shadow and I'm kind of just lost in the fact that I'm following my shadow. And in a way, I was chasing my shadow. And, and I just begin to think, like, how is this shadow being created right now? Like, what's creating this shadow? And obviously, we know it's the sun. The sun's creating the shadow. But we got to dive into, like, what's actually causing this shadow and begin to learn that in the sun right now, there's stuff happening at the core of that rock. There's stuff colliding into each other. There, there's activity happening. It's, it's, it's violent. It's chaotic. But yet it's, it's perfect in every way. And as these things collide in the center of the sun, they say it takes about 10,000 up to 100,000 years for, for photons to actually get to the surface of the sun. And then once, once the surface of the sun is reached, this photon is what you and I call light. That's the English phrase for a, a complex science and physics. And, and as the photons reach the surface of the sun, it emits off the surface of the sun. And it travels 93 million miles across a fraction of the universe. 93 million miles, and if it misses other planets, if it misses asteroids, if it misses UFOs, if it, if it misses all that, and it pierces the Earth's atmosphere. And then as it travels through our atmosphere, it hits an object, my back. And here I am looking at my shadow, and it took eight and a half minutes for that photon to travel across 93 million miles of space. So in fact, when you look at the sun right now, you're actually looking at something that's already happened eight and a half minutes ago. And then you start thinking about the universe. You just start thinking about the expanse of the universe. And NASA just released some new photos from the latest telescope. And the photos are coming out with you're beginning to see parts of deep space that no human has ever seen before. And they say that if you were to find a way to travel across from one end of the universe to the other end of the universe, right now they say it would take over 200 trillion light years to get from one end of the universe to the other end of the universe. That's going the speed of light for 200 trillion years to get from one end of the universe to the other end of the universe. And it's expanding at the speed of light. 
Our solar system is moving approximately over 800 miles per hour through the universe. Someone asked a question, what would happen if we stopped moving? We'd all vaporize just like that. There's this magical thing called gravity that's keeping us connected to this rock that is floating through space. And it's not static, it's not staying in one spot, it's not just fixated within the context of the universe, it's actually moving through the universe. So we're actually moving somewhere physically. We're actually going somewhere. So as this universe is expanding, as this is growing, and there's parts of space that we may never see. And I know that we love to talk about things in the eternal realm, but let's just stay in the natural realm for one second and begin to understand that the expanse of the universe is something that you and I have no ability to actually see or even fully comprehend. There's this amazing verse in Ecclesiastes that's it's becoming a life verse for me. It's becoming, a, if not a major verse, that I just can't quite let go of. And it's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. And it says this, He has placed eternity in our hearts. He has placed eternity in our hearts. And yet no one can tell you the beginning or end of God. It's fascinating to me that we, we can understand that the expanse of the universe, it takes 200 plus trillion years to travel across this expanse of space, and it continues to expand, and yet we ask God mundane questions. We have small thoughts, we have small thinking. Imagine what it's like for God to create this, and all he said was, let there be light. He just gave something permission to happen, to be. And as he's speaking these words, this universe begins to create, it begins to expand. Imagine doing all of that on a macro level, and then on a micro level, he's creating animals, he's creating incredible minerals that man had yet to find out about. He's creating comets, he's creating stars that are exploding, contracting, and then you talk about black holes. I don't know what they are, but it's the coolest thing in the world. That if light in time bends because of black holes. Imagine creating all of that. And then he creates humans. And in the Bible it says his number one delight in everything he's created was humanity. It's his best. He said, this is my favorite thing I've ever created. Everything else is awesome, but this is my favorite thing. Right here is humans. He said, my delight was in people. It's all over scripture. So much so that he sent his son. Imagine being that guy who created all this. And then the number one thing you created. And that one thing called humans have small thinking. Imagine how complex that would be. To go, wait, why are you thinking so small? Why are you limiting yourself? Why are you getting more narrow-minded instead of getting expanded? So I have to challenge you. It's not the faith. It's not God that's the problem. It has to be with us. That we've reduced ourselves down to small thinking and limited thinking. So you can't look at the expanse of space. You can't look at the expanse of the universe. And then just think, my life amounts to nothing. Do I have a purpose in life? 
Because God has placed within you eternity. He's placed something within you that longs for something outside of you. And as long as you reduce yourself, there'll be such a dissonance in your soul. There'll be such a dissatisfaction deep in your soul. Because deep inside you is something that longs for something that's beyond you. That's outside of you. It's transcendent. And yet here we are, we, we question if God wants us to do something great. One of the biggest, biggest prisons in Christian theology is the will of God. The will of God has become, has become one of the biggest cripplers of the Christian. It's, it's actually shrunk our perspective of God down. We have now gotten to a point in Christianity, we are so scared of making a wrong decision. We wake up every day with this idea, I don't want to screw up today. Like we've reduced ourselves down. We're talking to a God that created the universe. And yet the very thing he prized is talking about not messing up. We've reduced ourselves down. I don't want to screw up today. And all of a sudden, opportunities come your way. It's amazing when opportunities come to someone that doesn't know God and opportunities that come to someone that does know God. It's amazing the response. The person that doesn't know God seems to be more excited and free about the opportunities. They're like, oh my gosh, the time has come. The planets have lined up. I'm in. And they just jump at the best opportunity that they can find, the one that pays the most or the most exciting or the most fulfilling, the most satisfaction. We go, man, that's the one I'm going to do. And over here, we've got people that put their faith in the God that created all of this. And we're like, oh, I don't want to screw up. So we have to ask ourselves some question. Do we understand the will of God? What actually is it? It's amazing. We struggle. Should I move to that city or not move to that city? Should I take that job or not take that job? And we're so scared of doing anything, we just do nothing. And God's like, I created the universe. Why are you limiting yourself? Why do you think my will is a prison? The will of God is meant to liberate you. It's meant to set you free. And if you're here today thinking there's only one plan for my life, you are greatly mistaken. Some of you need to hear this. If you want God to make every decision for you in life, you have nothing to give an account for at the end of your life. And yet we live our days like, God, what decision should I do? Which one should I do? People ask me, when did God confirm you moving to Greenville? I said he never did. God never confirmed Greenville is a city. It's like, what do you want to do? Some of you, this is really hard to hear. Like, how does that make sense? There are aspects of relationship with God where he wants you to learn obedience. But when you take one aspect and define the entire relationship, you're only embracing one aspect of a multidimensional relationship. We have the tendency to flatten a multidimensional God. We want to take this God that's created. We haven't even talked about the unseen realm. We're only talking about the universe, and we barely even know what that is. I mean, talk about the unseen realm. 
what is, how do you even, you can't quantify it because it has no beginning and it has no end. So at least in the universe, we've got some quantification. We've got some way to go, okay, we think it's this big and okay, we can kind of see aspects of it. And we've got this going on and God's like, why are you thinking so small? Why do you think there's no purpose in your life? Why do you think there's no direction in your life? Why do you think you're stuck in one thing? Why do you think I've rejected you when I've created all this and I chose you? He's placed eternity in your heart. Some of you are here tonight and deep within your soul is this longing. This longing for something outside of you. But something is telling you to not screw up. The will of God is meant to set you free. It's not meant to set you free to do whatever you want to do. It's meant to set you free to explore the universe that God has made for you. It's like, let's go. I want to show you some stuff. He even says in Scripture, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. Like God's like, I want to show you some stuff. But yet we're so scared to make a wrong decision. We're so focused on this. We're so focused on, I don't want to screw up. What if it's not the right one? What if it's this one and I messed this up? God's like, what if it's both? That's good. Come on. What if it's all of them? Yes. What if he's saying all four of these things in front of you are brilliant decisions? Yes. Pick one and let's go for a ride. Yes. Come on. How many of you right now have two or three job opportunities in front of you? Like, which one should I do? What, God, which one's the wrong one? Which one should I not do? Maybe God's saying all three of them. Just pick one. Some of you are like, should I, should I move to this city or this city or this city? Or should I, or I should do this new thing or this new thing? And God's like, which one do you want to do? Yeah. Now, God says this, then guess what? That's easy. Yeah. Right, this is the only option right now. Sometimes he reduces all your options down to one. So don't be naive and say that's no longer the case. But when he does that, that's easy. That's what I call base level of relationship. When my wife says, Eric, I want you to do this, it's an easy choice. But when she doesn't do that, guess what? A whole world of opportunity just opened up. Have you ever, what is it in us that is compelled to write songs? Why do we, why do we sit with a piece of paper or your phones or however you record this and you, you spend hours and you spend weeks putting words together, and then you scratch it out and start over. What is it in us that loves to just put words together and melodies and harmonies and do arrangements? What is, it, what is it in us that loves to create songs? What is it in us that loves to take ingredients, take this ingredient, this ingredient, and put it together to try to make something that tastes wonderful? What is it in us that loves to put together these meals where we want to have someone else eat it? And we spend hours, we spend our lives creating these dishes that are just exquisite and elegant and perfect. And someone consumes it and it's gone. And yet we do it again. We do it again. What is it where we take two colors? We take this color and this color and we put it together and we create this other color. And then we like to either paint with it or we love to draw with it or create 
clothing out of it. We love to, what is it inside of us that we want to create something? What is it in us that love to spend hours writing poems that someone might say, that's horrible, but doesn't matter to you. You've been weeks and months and years. What is it in us that love to just create this stuff? What is it in us that has an idea that's in our gray matter, that is living within the gray matter in our skull? And it's an idea just floating there. It's intangible. It's not even a tangible thing. And yet we go through this grueling process. We put our lives through misery. We put our lives through hard work and resilient and grit. And we just labor day in and day out to get this idea out of gray matter and get it into the seen realm. What is it in us that have to do that? Why do we as people go through so much effort? Imagine going through a crisis, going through tragedy, a great loss, and not having the ability to communicate that through song, through art through a solution to solve it so it doesn't happen to anyone else. Imagine not having that ability to create something as a result of great loss and pain. That terrifying to feel all of that and yet not have an ability to do something with it. Imagine having so much joy, experiencing love, the kind of love that makes you stupid, you lose all sense of modesty and rationale because you've been so overwhelmed with love. I remember when my daughters were born, something woke up inside of me. I've heard about it, I've read about it, and I've seen it on other fathers. But it wasn't until my daughters came out that something rose up within me, and it was this vigilant, I will do anything for this little girl. And it happened again. I said, I will do anything for this little girl. Imagine experiencing all of that and not having an ability to do something with it. That's terrifying. You see, what God has done, he's placed the ingredients in us. He's placed the, the ability to experience what we call the human experience. He put within us senses, sight, smell, taste, hearing, touch. He put these senses in it so we can experience life. We can experience all of it. Some of us don't want to, but you are designed to experience every emotion known to man. Some of us have chosen to live a life to only experience these ones, but you've refused these other ones, and yet you're missing out on experiencing emotions and pain and loss. Because in those moments, guess what comes out? Something that you've never seen before. Paul said, listen, count it all joy when you go through trials. Because something is coming out of you that's beautiful. But imagine being able to experience all of life and yet you could do nothing with it. That sounds horrible to me. It's because God has placed eternity within you. And the reality is, guess what? You get to create. You now have material to create something. You now have matter. 
You now have something in front of you, something deep within you, you now get to create. This is important. I want you to understand this. Because some of us are stuck thinking, I have no control over my future. My future just happens. It's just something that's just there. And I, tonight I'm here to tell you, no, 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 he's placed eternity in you. He's placed all the stuff within you so you can create the future. You actually have the ability to create something that's not existent. This whole idea of a future, of creating. I've learned that when you can see possibilities, when you experience life the way it's experienced, and all of a sudden you see possibility, it's because you're anchored in something. People that are anchored in hope always see endless possibilities. Let me say this again. People that see endless possibilities are anchored in hope. They're anchored in something unseen. They're anchored in a hope that's outside of self. And so if perhaps, if you see no possibilities or you see only see limitations, maybe you've forgotten this hope that's living in you. Maybe you've had a breakup with that hope. Maybe there's the disconnect between recognizing this hope that rests in eternity is actually living inside of you. Time is fascinating. I don't know if you've thought about time, but time is, is really intriguing to me. I mean, we can quantify three aspects of it. Here are three questions for you. What is the future? What is the past? And what is the present? What is the past is the easiest thing to quantify. It's anything that's not happened. I'm sorry, anything that has happened already. So if you've been alive 40 years, the 40 years of your life is your past. You're able to say, oh, I've been alive for 40 years. It's something that's quantifiable. I can see it. There's pictures, there's photos, there's stories. Here it is. The future, you can't quite quantify it, but you can say it's anything that hasn't happened yet. It's something out there. It's like in the next five minutes, we are literally just stepped into the future. In fact, by the time I finish this sentence, we are now into the future. So it's something that hasn't happened yet. But the one thing that you can't actually quantify, the one thing that you actually can't measure is the present. Now, we use the word present loosely. We use it in the context of like, okay, it's this moment, this evening we're spending together is this moment, this present. But by the time I finish that word, we are no longer in the present. We're in the future. So we have to ask the question, is present this hour? Is it this minute? Is it this specific point in this second? Is it a you can't actually quantify the present. So what did that leave us? You only have two options. You actually don't have a present. You have a past and you have a future. The challenge is Christian nostalgia keeps us in the past. And Christians are notorious for wanting to just relive old experiences. We constantly relive old experiences. Some of us come to church because we're hoping what happened last year happened tonight. Some of us are reading the Bible hoping, man, that experience I had reading that verse last week, I hope it happened again today. This is called Christian nostalgia. 
We're trying to relive an old experience. And so what we do, because we actually don't know how to move into the future, we just recreate the path, and all we do is put skinny jeans on it, <laughs> put a baggy T-shirt, and put some cool lighting around it, and we say it's new. And we said, man, look at this new thing. That's actually not new at all. All you do is put some skinny jeans on it, a baggy shirt, and some lights on it. And it looks new, but it's actually incredibly old. It's an old experience that you're trying to relive in the future, but it, don't, it doesn't exist in the future. I love these prayers we pray. God, show us something new. The challenge with something new is you've never actually seen it, experienced it, smelled it, tasted it, felt it. Because if it, if it wasn't new, then you know what it smells like, you know what it tastes like, you know what it feels like, you know what it's like. You're like, oh, that reminds me. But if it's truly new, you've never seen it before. You've never experienced it before. You've never encountered this thing before. So usually you reject it because you have no grid for it. You have no context for it. You have no framework for something. And this is the challenge that most of us have. Like, God wouldn't do it that way. And we start turning around. Like, let's just live with the experiences that we have. Because we know we can control that. And so we, if we're going to pray these prayers new, God, show me something new, then be ready for something that you actually have never seen before. Go to your Bibles and ex look for a new experience, not the one you had last week. Come to this house right here, not because of what happened a year ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. Come going, okay, are we creating the future or are we reliving the past? So this is my question to each of you tonight. Everything you need is actually living in you to create the future. Everything that you need is actually within your reach. There's nothing missing. If eternity is in you, and the Holy Spirit moves through all the dimensions of reality to touch you when you invite him into your life, everything you need, everything that's necessary to create the future is right here. So let's ask the question, why is it so hard for us to move into the future? Because it requires change. There's five reasons why we don't like to change. If you're taking notes, I would write these down. Some of you are just looking at me. And you have great memory, but some of you don't. You need to write this down. The first reason why we don't like to change is economics. These aren't in any specific order. It's economics. When, when creating the future causes you to change your economics, that's a big ask. That's the tall request, because we don't like to let go of our current economics, because we have no idea what it is in the future. Second reason, personal comfort. We just get comfortable. We simply get comfortable, and like, I'm good. I can go over the wall now and set the temperature. I couldn't do that for years. It took me 20 years to get a thermostat on the wall. But now I have the ability to control my life, and it's comfortable. And yet we're designed to create the future, something in us that longs for something you don't see. And so letting go of personal comfort so you no longer have the ability to control your life and set the temperature of your life. 
for personal comfort. Third reason, your political position. This isn't a politics thing. This is each and every one of us. In our current world, we have some realm of influence, some realm of power and authority. So in, in my church, I'm obviously, my wife and I are in charge of it. I can, we can do whatever we want because we sit in a position to lead, make decisions, and do what we need to do with the church. That's called influence. In order for me to make a change, I have to let go of that influence. And for some of you, maybe it's in your work or maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's in a relationship. Like, I don't want to let go of this. I like being in charge or I like having this type of influence. I like to be able to steer the ship wherever I want it to go. And sometimes the future requires you to let go of that. Fourth reason. It's your definition of how you think God works. When you have your idea of how you think God works, and when something in the future doesn't line up with that, you usually just reject it. Every major movement in church history confronted that one. Every major movement. Every major movement came to a fork in the road and said, well, that's not how we see God moving. And so they rejected. Guess what? There was some type of split, some type of branch off, and a whole other expression of God showed up. And the fifth one, I am forgetting completely right now. It'll come to me, hopefully, in a matter of minutes. But we as humans don't like the change. But yet we are designed to create the future. Do you know that every experience you have is actually, is actually material to create the future? Every experience you have is material to create your future. You remember that moment, Elijah? I'm, I'm going to make some assumptions here. Some of you know the story of Elijah and, Beth, and uh, Jezebel. Have you noticed no one names their kid Jezebel anymore? It just it didn't work out. They said, you know what, that name is no, you don't name anyone Jezebel anymore. And Elijah's running from Jezebel. And he runs, and he's fearing for his life, and he runs approximately 200 miles. Why 200 miles? Because he had to leave the jurisdiction of governance that Jezebel and Ahab governed. He had to get out of that country, that region. So he gets out of that country, and then he goes into the wilderness. So now he is in the wilderness, and they set it out a 40-day journey into, into the wilderness. And what's fascinating is the 200 miles and then the 40-day, God never talked to Elijah. Never says one word. An angel is with him, but God never speaks to him. Which I find really fascinating because God's not in a hurry as much as we are. Sometimes we want him to talk to us. He's like, you're good. Just keep walking. How long? I don't know. Just keep walking. And so for 40 days and 40 nights, Elijah's walking. Imagine what that was like. Imagine the conversation Elijah was having with himself. Imagine the bout of depression and suicide that was going through his soul. And he was wrestling with his very existence. For 40 days, that's a long time to leave a man with his thoughts, especially with what he had just been through. Then he showed up to what's called the cave. And he goes into this cave. 
Now, I always tell people, when you go into a cave, just make sure God's in the cave. Don't go into caves he's not in. Just go into caves. But we all need room in our life for caves. We all need room in our theologies for caves. Dark places. Not all darkness is evil. Some darkness is necessary where you can't see. So Elijah goes into this cave, and God finally asks him this question, Elijah, what's going on? And Elijah spouts off an answer, I'm the only one left. No one cares anymore. I'm the only one that was committed to you, and I'm the only one. There's no one left. And he goes on and on and on, which we know is not true, because we're able to read the whole story. There were thousands of others that had chosen God. But Elijah had isolated himself in his own weakness, that I am the only one. So he had this major discussion with God, and, and God said, come outside. I want to show you something. So he steps outside of the cave. So imagine this moment. He steps out of the cave, and, and he looks across the chasm of the mountain, and he sees an earthquake hitting this mountain, and rocks are falling. I mean, the earth is moving. And the Bible said the earth shook, but God was not in it. And then he hears this wind that just comes ripping through, this major powerful wind ripping through. And the Bible said the wind blew, but God was not in the wind. And then he saw fire. He saw fire, just this crazy fire. And the Bible said that in the midst of the fire, God was not in it. And then the very last verse of this little section is said in the whisper of God. He heard a faint sound. If you look at the original language, it's actually nothing. It's no sound. The translations are actually, in my opinion, just poor translations. Trying to, trying to sum this up, when you look at the original language, it, the word that is used is to describe the space between words. It's utter silence. So it's not like this. It's Now, Elijah was familiar with the earth shaking. He was familiar with the God that knows how to shake earth. He's seen that before. He was very familiar with fire. Could you remember the story of fire not that many years before? He saw fire consume his sacrifice. And he was very familiar with wind. Wind, for those kind of people, are common. But the sound, the experience he had never experienced was one of utter silence. It was in that right there that he experienced another side of God he had never experienced yet. Sometimes you have to know where God isn't to know where he is. Let me say this again. Sometimes you have to know he's not in a past experience anymore. He's not in an experience I had at camp when I was a kid. He's not in an experience I had in my devotion for the last three years every morning. He's not in the experience in church anymore. He's not in that experience. He's in, he's waiting in a space for you to go to, to experience so you can create a new future. And it was in this moment he experienced God. He said, oh, my God, I didn't know you were in the nothingness. I didn't know you were in the space between words. Elijah was familiar with the loud God. He had never experienced the nothing between words, God. He had never experienced that. And guess what comes next? Elisha. 
The future is now created because of this experience, this moment. And some of us are still trying to put skinny jeans on our last experiences. We're trying to make it look cooler and cuter and more sexier. Stop trying to repeat your past. Stop trying to regurgitate an old experience. Come expecting something you've never seen before. It's a hard time in the church right now for a lot of people who are like, we're not seeing God move like he used to. Perhaps it's because he wants to move differently. But yet we're trying to relive an old experience. So I love the word future. I love the name of the event, hope and future. It's my favorite word in my vernacular. But one of the challenges is we don't like the future because we don't know what to expect. We can't control it. We don't know how it comes. And so we get bored. And the time and space, the longer the time between this moment and the future, you usually just reproduce what you've already experienced. You were designed to create the future. You were designed to actually create a world that you get to live in. So he has placed eternity in your hearts. He's the one that put that deeply embedded into your soul. And even as our society becomes more secular, more void of anything transcendent, let's not just talk about God for a second, let's just talk about anything spiritual. As our society is moving, specifically Western culture is moving more and more toward secular thought, completely about human self. But don't you notice that the movies are more and more about something outside of self? The movies that we want to watch, the shows that are capturing the attentions of people around the world, Stranger Things, Marvel, all these movies, and they're getting more intense. Why? Because the human soul longs for something outside of self. But the secular worldview is just suppressing, is suppressing and oppressing the soul of humanity that longs for something outside of self. So these movies will get darker. They will get harder to watch or to even understand, like, how in the world can we create something so morbid, so dark? It's because the human soul is being suppressed. Because inside the human soul longs for something outside of self, something transcendent. So I told him to tell you something. You have the opportunity, because your soul has made a connection. It's not a dissonance, it's resonating. The future is designed for you to occupy. You were born for a future you don't even know exists. I think this is really good. That's just my opinion. Why don't you stand? I want you to walk out of here tonight with just the realization. Something deep within your soul longs for something outside of you. And you have all the material, all the matter necessary to create the future. 
I want to challenge you. The future is actually waiting for you to occupy it. You may think you're sitting there doing nothing in life. You can actually create the future or the future will be created for you by someone else. What's crazy is our indecision still create the future. Our inaction still creates the future. So if you don't like where you're at today, it's because of whatever you've done in the past. This idea of not being in any involvement in creating our lives is one of the biggest lies that we have believed. And my challenge to you to recognize, like, someone's creating your future. Who do you want that to be, you or someone else? Could God, like, I've given you everything necessary. And tonight I pray that you also walk out of here with this realization that you're actually set free instead of being locked up in a prison of choice. And so, Father, tonight I pray for every person in this room, young and old, every person in between, that we'd recognize, like, your plans are to liberate us, or to set us free. That we actually are designed for the future, and yet you put within it the ability to create the future. And so I pray for every person in this room. I understand in this room there's so many conflicting thoughts and paradigms and worldviews. And I love the tension in this room because it tells me your soul is waking up. Your soul is recognizing, wow, this makes sense, but your mind is telling you, Wait, this isn't, this is conflicting. This doesn't make sense because your entire life you've been stuck. And tonight I'm here to tell you, you can be free if you want yes. to be. Yes. It's not a question of Jesus wants you to be free. He already took care of his part of the equation. The question is, do you want to be free? Do you want to run into the future that God has created for you? Do you want to run into the future and create it? So I pray for every person in this room. They'd be set free tonight. As they drive away from this place, they'd recognize, wow, I've been stuck and it's my deal. I've been trapped in my own paradigm, my own worldviews. And tonight we say yes to being set free. Tonight we say yes to taking all the matter, all the experiences that we've experienced. So now we can create the future. And Father, I thank you that our hope is in you. Our hope is in you completely. And we bless every person in this room tonight. I pray we be challenged over and over with this with truth of creating the future. And I pray for the person on our right and our left, they'd be more messed up than I am. And everybody said? Amen. Everybody said? Amen.